The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to the Beauty Vanguard. I always love when we do this at the top of the show, when we talk about, you know, something that's been buzzing, that we've been reading about, hearing about. And I feel like since the summer of 2020, probably more than any time, at least in my life, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you agree, that we've really been discussing, like, what does allyship mean? Mm -hmm. What is allyship? How do we define allyship? And I know... Obviously, within our company at 13 Loon, we really define allyship from the form of brands as brands that long before the summer of 2020, even if they aren't created by black or brown founders, have been thinking about serving all in their formulations, Mm -hmm. you know, really speaking to representation. These are companies that long before the summer of 2020 we're really thinking about serving all, serving every person in the formulations of their products. And when you look inside their companies, when you look at their Instagram page, they've always been, you know, really aware of the importance of diversity and inclusion. And and so we see, I know at 13 Loon, what that means as far as, you know, beauty brands and, and the ethos of our company. But I do feel like allyship from a broad term, I think we can... We can dig in a little bit. Yeah, I think everything you said, for sure. And it is kind of a buzzy term. So when it comes to buzzy terms, I'd like to be very conscious of using it properly. And like we're having a discussion about it. I think that's super important. But to me, allyship, first and foremost, a big priority is to listen. I try and come from that place. I hope other people do, you know, and I, I I see that there is sometimes this, like, maybe some people feel pressure, like, if I'm not doing all the things, am I an ally? Like, your willingness and openness and your vulnerability to learning, possibly making a mistake, possibly Mm -hmm. saying something wrong. I mean, just that vulnerability is the biggest step to becoming a true ally or practicing allyship in its truest form. I can see how that can be hard. It's like, oh my God, if I even try, what if I Mm -hmm. mess up? It's like, there's no messing up if you're kind of coming from an honest place. You know, I think we also need to give everybody room to participate in their own way. As long as it's not performative, then you're doing the right thing. I just do think that. I think it's about listening and and being open to mm-hmm. to new perspectives and mm-hmm. pain and being vulnerable to the journey that you will be on when you do actively participate as an ally to somebody Absolutely. else or another community. Right. So And it's 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 really steeped in respect, respect for one mm-hmm. another, even self-respect, right? Mm-hmm. I know there's so much more good in the world than there is bad. Mm-hmm. I'm also well aware that we all make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? And and don't always say the right thing at the right time perfectly. But I love what you said about, yeah, if it's not performative, if you're doing it because you authentically 
want to show up for someone else. There's all different ways that we can be allies to one another. And you do it in the best way that you possibly can. Mm -hmm. That maybe you speak out loud when it might feel a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't stay silent when you witness something disrespectful to another human being. And that you go easy on yourself because we're Mm -hmm. all learning. You know, that's what I love so much about this podcast. It's like, you know, we talk about the beauty of inclusion and what does inclusion mean? And inclusion just means everyone. That's Mm -hmm. why our guests come from all walks of life, Mm -hmm. people of all colors, you Mm -hmm. know, but people who want to talk about the importance of showing up for one another. Mm -hmm. And so I know that's what we're here to do every week is to show up for for ourselves. And it's as simple as asking the question, how can I support you? I've literally mm-hmm. asked somebody that and somebody's asked Same. me that. Same. And sometimes when I'm like typing that text, I'm like, that seems so like generic or whatever. But it's like, I'm not going to get into something I don't actually know enough about. It's not my experience. It's not mm-hmm. my fight or plight or pain, but I need to get closer to it so I can understand how to be involved but the mm-hmm. first question can often be, how can I support you? I'm sorry Absolutely. this is happening. This is insane. Oh, you know, or I don't know. I, you don't even need to say more than that because then it gets mm-hmm. into like, mm-hmm. why didn't I know? You know, I've actually second guessed myself. Well, why didn't I know this sooner? Why didn't I know this insanity sooner? Then I beat mm-hmm. myself up and then it becomes right. about me. And then right. it's like, no, 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 right. no. Pause. You know, this is literally mm-hmm. my mind at work sending a text. <laughs> and to, right. it, I'm like actually recalling a time that I did this. And it's just like, edit, edit, edit. How can I support you? Right. So, How can I support you? And then, you? then from there on, you listen until you can actually say something that might be meaningful mm-hmm. and helpful. Right. Did you, this has nothing to do with beauty. It has to do with sports, but sports often piques my interest because of Mm -hmm. the humanity that happens between players and teams and different countries Mm -hmm. and whatever. For the ESPY Awards last week, that the the college athlete that was named favorite college female player, did you see Mm -hmm. that when she accepted her award? She's the captain, I believe, of UConn women's basketball. She is a white woman She accepted the award and toward the end of her speech, like middle to end, she said, I have to acknowledge, you know, I would not be up here without, and she named some of her, you know, team players and that she was honoring black women for Mm -hmm. leading the sport, pushing the sport forward, being the backbone of the sport. um, And that she fully acknowledged that, you know, her place in this and that she is playing a black led sport and she's receiving this award. And also she called out like a media statistic, which was amazing. She said, I got this much coverage last year. Black women got this much coverage last year in the media. You know, when it comes to brand endorsements, media headlines, like those are the kinds of things that, you know, really affect how people see sports and who plays the sport and who's important in sports. So brands, media, whatever it is, you have to, honor the people who are really holding up this sport and that's black women and that was true allyship she was on the biggest stage as far as sports goes receiving this very high honor and um really shared the stage you know Mm. that is one form of allyship but absolutely 
you know, a very particular case as far as like that big of a platform. But it can also very simply be that text of how can I support you? Acknowledging that that, that person's not alone. I think one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves, and I say this a lot, is finding a way to be comfortable in the uncomfortable because that's how we learn. And and it does require active listening. And And I think we've all learned, most of us, how to be a little bit more comfortable in the uncomfortable. And I think the hope is, is that we get to a place that, that those conversations and how to show up for one another becomes completely comfortable for all. And that starts with allyship. Good way to put and it. So with that, I'm so excited for this episode. When it comes to beauty, anyone who's been paying attention to the most sought-after brands out there, especially in hair care, has heard of Briogeo and its impressive founder, Nancy Twine. The ubiquitous product line of shampoos, scalp care, and styling aids speaks to a diverse audience encompassing a range of hair types and textures. It has undeniably been the leader in green hair care since its launch in 2014, filling the market void for clean, efficacious products that have an inclusive approach to how they are talked about and marketed. Nancy, we're so excited to have you here today. I've been a longtime fan of you and your brand, Briogeo, and have also felt this deep connection as a fellow Black female founder in the beauty space who creates products for people of all colors and have just really looked up to you and your journey and, you know, what you've created and, you know, how you've really just been this pioneer in so many different ways. So I'm excited for our audience to get to know you better today, too. Something we love to ask our guests, and especially someone like you, because I know a little bit about your background pre-beauty life, is what is your beauty background? What has been your journey from sort of your first experiences or impressions with beauty? I know that your grandmother um, in West Virginia has had a real impact on your life, a lot out of necessity and practicality. So we love that story. Can you share with our audience kind of your your first experiences with beauty? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting because I, I didn't get my career start in beauty, but I certainly got a childhood start in beauty. Um, my mom was a chemist and physician and as you mentioned, she she was one of eight children, and her mother used to make a lot of the family's personal care products um, from scratch at home. And when I was growing up, especially with my mom's chemistry background and the access that we had to so many more ingredients from our local health food store, I used to spend a lot of time growing up with my mom in the kitchen making our own uh, beauty products from scratch. So we would go to our local health food store and buy all sorts of ingredients like oils and extracts and butters and salts and sugars and turn them into all sorts of beauty products, body care, face care, skin care, hair care. For me, especially growing up with curly, coily um, hair, the products on the market just weren't hydrating enough. They didn't have enough slip. It was always so difficult detangling my hair, um, getting my curls to stay hydrated. 
So we kind of just took matters into our own hands and started making formulas that were specific to our needs. And we started doing the same for you know friends and family members um, as well. So that was really kind of my earliest experience with beauty. And it's pretty cool because I feel like at a, at a young age, I was able to really see firsthand that you could take very simple ingredients from nature and transform them into um, effective and customized beauty products. I love that. With Nikeo Beauty, my skincare line, I too was inspired by my family beauty secrets and experiences of learning my first beauty secret from my grandmother, who was a Kenyan coffee farmer, and my grandfather was a medicine man. And I think having those experiences early on really leads us to a, I guess, larger, bigger commitment and excitement around the discovery of ingredients and inclusion. And so, you know, with 13 Loon, we always speak about the fact that our our entire brand is built on the beauty of inclusion. So what does inclusion and beauty look like to you? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I feel like so many of my memories of this question even stem from childhood. You know, before me and my mom started making our own products, I would always remember that when we would go to like the drugstore, there was always, you know, this huge section of hair care with, you know, all these colorful, you know, packages and bottles. And it was just an infinite kind of aisle of hair care. And then when it came to hair care that was more specific to textured hair types, it was in a different section, typically on the bottom shelf, and the packaging wasn't as innovative, all of those things. And I was always so confused by that. And you know, as I got older too, I started realizing how just even the positioning of products for textured hair was almost meant to be e- excluded. Um, or something that you you weren't proud of, like why was it on the bottom shelf, and and why didn't it have such a, a a large assortment, and why was I you know made to feel different from the rest of the aisle? And when I set out to create Briogia, one of the things I was really intentional about was you know creating a brand that wasn't going to just be for me or my hair needs or my texture needs, but creating a brand for everyone. I have to say, I am so, so grateful that I grew up, I went to a very diverse middle and high school. So I grew up around a very diverse, close-knit group of friends. And um, it's something that I still celebrate to today. And I, I wanted to create something that even my friends could use, whether they had straight hair, wavy hair, curly hair, coily hair, thin hair, thick hair. Um, one brand that everyone could identify with as their own. And it's something that I'm I'm so proud of. I tell this story sometimes that um, a couple of years ago, I was, I was at a Sephora conference room and there were two women at the table, um, one who had short, like 4C coils, and then another woman who had, um, you know, this thick, straight red hair. And they were both like, Nancy, oh my gosh, your don't despair repair deep conditioning mask, that is my holy grail. And both of them couldn't have had different hair, but what brought them in common was the fact that they were suffering from dryness and damage. And that's how Briogeo, you know, approaches how we innovate. It's not, you know, meant to be just for one or a couple hair texture types. It's really focusing on problem and solution. 
And just because you have dry and damaged hair doesn't necessarily speak to a hair texture type from a straight, you know, wavy, curly or coily perspective. It could really speak to all of those. So it's something that I'm really, really proud of that through Briogeo, we've been able to just unite such a diverse group of men and women under one clean hair care line. Well, that is what I love. I know what we love about the line. It's almost what you don't say. You know what I mean? It's like so much of what you describe in the retail experience growing up and that does unfortunately still exist today. I think it's such a like a microaggression. And there's so many people, unless you're in a position where you're noticing things are on the bottom shelf and you're relegated to, you know, a couple bottles here and there that don't maybe don't speak to you. Maybe if the formula is great, maybe the marketing doesn't speak to you or, you know, a lot of people don't realize it if they're not, you know, having that experience. So with Briogeo, like you said, it really has managed to unite everybody, not by saying anything over the top or overt. It's just about taking that approach of, hair concerns, dryness, damage, scalp, flakiness, oiliness, you know, because at the end of the day, it's not about, yes, there are certain ethnicities where there's curly hair is more prevalent or straight sort of hair is more prevalent, but addressing things from a problem solution is really such a beautiful way to unite and, and sort of erase those lines that a lot of people have experienced throughout the retail experience. So, you know, you have had a pretty lengthy career pre-Briogeo in finance on Wall Street. You spent six years on, on Wall Street, which is awesome. And I would think has set you up really well for running um, this kind of successful business. But when it comes to funding, um, what has your journey been like? And where do you feel like there are still blind spots for women, women of color, black women um, trying to raise VC capital in business? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think relative to some of my other beauty brand founder besties, because um, it's it's certainly a community of, of, of women and even men that are just so, so, so supportive. We all have like kind of different funding stories. And for me, I spent the first seven years of my career working at Goldman Sachs, where I had a lot of um, success there in my career. And fortunately, I was able to save up a bit for myself to a point where I was actually able to, you know, fund the business for, for quite a while. So there's a term called bootstrapping. And for the listeners who aren't familiar with that term, it's basically you know, using your personal funding from your savings, maybe even credit cards, maybe even getting loans from friends and family um, to fuel the needs of the business. And so I did that a lot longer than most people do. I did that for about five and a half years. And it can be a bit of a roller coaster when you're putting kind of everything that you have earned throughout your life on the lines for something that you believe in. And, um, you know, the first several years were very much, you know, me lending money to the company and hoping that, you know, we'd sell enough product to get an order and then I'd pay myself back. Um, and then once we became profitable, um, I started leveraging uh, bank loan financing. But then there became a point where I had to really, you know, be honest with myself and say, hey, what am I trying to do here? Am I just trying to kind of have you know, this small business that I can kind of run with a very small team 
Or am I trying to make this something really big? Because at the time we were growing so rapidly with Sephora, our direct to consumer business was really starting to scale. And I had to make a decision, hey, do I want to risk it while trying to play this bootstrapping game? Or do I want to bring on a larger institutional um, investor to help me really build out a team, um, invest in the proper inventory levels and marketing so that I could really scale it? And so that was a big soul searching moment for me. And I ultimately decided to bring on an institutional investor in 2019. I brought on VMG Partners who has just been such a phenomenal team of people to work with. I've learned so much from them. And for me, the journey with them certainly has been beyond just writing a check uh, to really being a strategic mm -hmm. business partner to me. Um, we talk a lot about smart money. And you know, as we work to address the needs for especially women and people of color having access to capital. Um, it's so refreshing to hear your journey and to hear that you were able to build the business to such success by bootstrapping. Um, we talk a lot about friends and family rounds, uh, angel rounds, going the bank route, that you know there are these alternatives to raising capital for your business that doesn't have to necessarily mean that there's that rejection from institutional. And, and we can see after announcements, like the recent announcement from Goldman Sachs, that there is a focus now on opportunity. And I was really excited to read about their commitment. I was so excited. I actually just posted about that on my Instagram, especially Goldman being my alma mater, uh, yes. you know, my first career. Um, I was, I was right. so, so thrilled to see that. Yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, I think that David Solomon is probably like my biggest CEO hero for, you know, just the bold moves that he's making to to move the needle for change. For our listeners, can you explain exactly what the yeah, initiative so is that Goldman Sachs is doing? Goldman Sachs has created the One Million Black Women Initiative, where they have uh, committed $10 billion dollars that's a billion with a B. Billion with a B. Isn't that billion incredible? Billion with a B as in B for B for Briogeo. B for billion. Ten Not billion a coincidence. Dollars. Speaking of another B, bootstrapping, when I first had lunch with you, Nancy, but I remember like you so viscerally describing to me having boxes in your apartment down near in the financial district because you were living down there and you're like, yeah, I just like have like boxes up against the window. I'm like, wow, this girl is like, really? Like I could really picture it. I know that's not the case anymore, but <laughs> you know, just that idea of bootstrapping. And I mean, I actually am not a business expert, so I don't know if that's a real, that's a, seems like a relatively long time to do yeah. that without accepting outside funding or going that route. So that's a testament to you being able to just be really diligent about the output input of finances and mm -hmm. making it work for as long as you did in that capacity. So, And I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier with your experience as a little girl and going to buy hair care products and what was then called and sometimes still is the ethnic aisle and, and that feeling 
Um, I too, as a young black girl growing up in the United States, had that same experience. And so I really want to thank you because I now have a 15-year-old daughter with amazing textured, multiracial hair. So she gets actually her thickness from her dad, her coils from her mom. It's so beautiful that with brands like yours, that she's not having that experience. And what I see in her love for her hair, and and she embraces her curls, she loves every now and then when she gets to blow it out, but she has such hair pride that I didn't have as a little girl. And it's so beautiful to watch. And I mean, she watches all the videos, all the tutorials. I'm a beauty expert. I have a line and I learned all of my hair care secrets from Lulu. So I want to just thank you as a mom mm-hmm. um, for, you know, being a pioneer for my daughter and and really being a an influential person that she can look up to in this space that has taught her to honor her hair. And so thank you so much for sharing that. That is so special. And that truly is what, you know, gives me the heart every day to continue, you know, to build and and grow this, this company, because it's not easy. But it's, you know, stories like the one that you just shared that, you know, make every kind of challenging moment so worth it. So thank you. Absolutely. At this point in the line, what do you find the most challenging? What do you feel like are the biggest pain points for for you right now? Yeah. I mean, I just think, and I, I think any entrepreneur who's scaling a business can relate to this. It's, you know, we are so busy. There's so much going on. We kind of always have to check what our priorities are because the truth is mm-hmm. we just can't do everything. And sometimes it does. It sucks to say no. Because sometimes you feel like the opportunity may never come again. One of the things that I have learned is that when you can really double down and create focus and really align on what the key priorities are and have discipline around that, that's when you really, really thrive. But there constantly is going, you know, there's so much going on. Um, We have an incredible retail base, Sephora, Ulta, we have our direct-to-consumer business, Nordstrom, you know, so it's not even just the work that we do every day to, to drive, you know, the Briogeo brand, but we're also trying to drive our retail businesses. And as we continue to scale, it's so important that we're scaling our teams to make sure that we have the right support system, finding the right people who are really passionate about not only the Briogeo brand, but really are aligned from a values perspective because our company is extremely entrepreneurial. You know, for anyone joining Briogeo, having that entrepreneurial mindset is what will really um, allow you to, to thrive, especially because we are, we're moving so quickly. You know, people take on a lot of responsibility, which is great too. And I do think that that is a big benefit of, of joining a more entrepreneurial company rather than, you know, sometimes a large corporation is that you get to do and see so much. You're not just, you know, siloed to one specific task, but you really do get a chance to roll up your sleeves and, and really kind of take ownership for so much of the, the brand's growth. I want to talk a little bit about clean. I've had a clean beauty brand, skincare brand for 18 years 
um, at 13 Loon, we're very focused on, you know, 90% of our brands are brands founded by BIPOC founders at 10% by brands um, that foster allyship. With all of them, it's about non-toxic beauty. And that's something that's really important to me. I feel like it's something that's still in our black and brown communities that the industry has a long way to go and really sharing the importance and having that equity and products marketed to, to people in our black and brown communities, the importance of clean. How do you feel about addressing clean in communities of color? Do you think that there's anything lacking in terms of education, accessibility? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Someone um, brought up to me recently, and it's like, I knew this, but I hadn't really thought about it. But so much of, you know, the idea of clean beauty has actually stemmed ancestrally from ethnic backgrounds in Africa and India using oils and butters to formulate products from nature from scratch. And I think that's something that's really important and that probably needs to be celebrated to a greater extent. You know, I sometimes do get asked the question, you know, why don't you see more clean products in mass at more affordable price levels? And, you know, I, I do think that so much of the growth of clean beauty over the past several years has come from indie beauty brands. And I think there's a few things at play there. I think when you are an indie beauty brand, chances are you're not doing as large of a manufacturing run as a big mass player. So because of that, you're not getting the economies of scale. Your costs are higher and you need to make that back by you know pricing your products accordingly but also clean ingredients using natural oils instead of silicones using you know plant derived surfactants instead of sulfates all of these things it, it, it is more expensive and my hope is that as clean beauty technology um, becomes even more of a force within the forefront that there will be opportunities to be able to bring more clean products more affordably to the market so that everyone has access to it because clean beauty shouldn't be viewed as, you know, only a premium thing, for example, because I, I, I do think very similar to what we saw in the food space with people really beginning to prioritize healthy eating, organic eating, uh, becoming aware of GMO foods, that's certainly happening in the beauty space. And it's not a trend. Um, it's something that's here to stay. And my hope and goal is that as it starts to continue to evolve, we just see even more clean options across the board, but not just in prestige, also within mass. That's so important. I love that you said that, that so much of sort of the inspiration and, and the very the the bare sort of foundation of these of these ingredients really has come from communities of color you know your line is based on it and a lot of ingredients based in Africa I'm Filipino and my grandfather who was a doctor out sort of in the provinces of Manila every time he came to visit us we'd go along the side of the road and pick anise or anise I don't know how you pronounce it but like the licorice plant and olive leaves and all kinds of things. And if I had a stomach ache, if he'd tell me to put things on my face, and I don't think that's specific. But I mean, I think you do see it more in certain ethnic groups, like you were saying, Indian, African, Southeast Asian. And so the irony there, you know, the, the first way we ask this question, I love 
your answer, basically, that we really have to remember and celebrate that a lot of, if not the majority of clean beauty really does stem from African cultures, Indian, Southeast Asian. And so to look at it as, as if it's premium and it's only for, you know, the fancy stores of the world or the glass top counters of the world is really kind of we've we've gotten away from it and we really should make a point to get back to celebrating where a lot of brands have tapped into these really amazing cultural rituals significant ingredients a lot of times that were used out of necessity I love the story Nancy that you have said about your grandmother really stretching a lot of her beauty remedies and things came from sort of stretching a dollar or making products last longer by adding oils or um, some kind of butter to it. So I don't know. I just love those origin stories. And so many of them happen in the family. Right. Um, they're passed down as tradition. And that is such a fundamental part of clean beauty. It really is. It doesn't get cleaner yeah. than that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I remember when I was a little girl and I was at the drugstore with my mom and I had a pimple and I went right to the area to find all the products that I could, you know, and my mom, because her father was a medicine man, my grandfather was a medicine man, she would always take everything and turn the box around and start looking at the ingredients. And she looked at something that I ran over to her that was going to like get rid of my pimple in 24 hours. And she looked at it and she said, no, go put this back. And I remember being really upset, very angsty teenager. You know, she said, even kids in the village growing up when I was in Kenya would get pimples and your grandfather would know what to go out and find in nature. It would, you know, be plants and berries and he would smash them and he would add honey. And then she said he would take a leaf and put it on my face. And when I woke up in the morning, my pimple was gone. And she's like, that's the best way to get rid of a pimple. So I'm like, maybe it was foreshadowing for future events when I <laughs> became an adult and started a, a clean skincare line. But yeah, it's a really, really good point. So many of our amazing traditions and ingredients that all of us celebrate in, in the beauty space really stem from this history. And I think it, that we do have a responsibility to share those stories. Well, we know how busy you are. You are jet setting. You're introducing new products all the time. You're speaking to us right now. So we know how busy you are. And you're so engaged as well in, in civil rights and everything that's kind of going on. So we want to know, how do you sort of take it all off? You know, we're all, beauty's all about like putting it on and slathering mm-hmm. it on and putting it on. I mean, actually not your hair care line because it is about taking it, taking it out and taking it off. But how do you self-care take it all off at the end of the day? You know, one of the things that I've, I've been able to do a lot more, especially in quarantine, is just spending some good quality time with myself. And when I say with myself, I mean alone time, time to meditate. And sometimes meditation means like, you know, the meditation that everyone thinks of, which is, you know, sitting there with your eyes closed and being still. But for me, that also means just laying in bed or laying on the couch and just kind of being in contemplative thought, just kind of slowing down for a moment and just kind of processing everything that happened during the day. What are things that I could have done better? What are some lessons learned? Just really just taking some time to digest it all. 
because I know pre-COVID, I was so go, go, go. By the time I hit the bed, it was like time to go to sleep, really going nonstop throughout the day until bedtime. And I, I feel like I've been a lot more intentional about just slowing down and, and taking that time um, to be meditative. And then really also using the time to up my beauty routine, um, the number of hair treatments that I do per week and self facials has increased quite a bit, um, having this time to myself. I've even started doing things that I've, I've really never done before, but I've been spending more time just like on my body skincare regimen. It used to just be exclusive to my face. And now I'm using like vitamin C serums on parts of my body and exfoliating more frequently and just, yeah, treating my body and, and even my scalp like I do my face. So I think just the, the experience of slowing down and being more intentional, being more thoughtful across the board has, has been a great way for me to take it off, so to speak. Are there any top three favorite products that have helped you take it all off that you just have become obsessed with lately? Yeah. I mean, I have a laundry list of, of products <laughs> that I just, I really love and I really, really adore. So I mentioned that I've been doing more body scrubs, which I never used to have time to do. <laughs> There's actually this really great body scrub that, that uh, First Aid Beauty makes, um, and it's called KP Eraser. And I think KP is an acronym for like a certain type of skin condition when you kind of get, um, I think it's called like chicken skin or something, but it really, oh, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just really helps to soften like, yeah. and smooth. It's, it's a really great formula. My friends at uh, Youth to the People recently sent me a plethora mm. of products. I've been loving their uh, kale face cleanser. It's so amazing. Good. The few times that I do put on makeup throughout the week, I've been using these uh, glow recipe. Um, I think they're called like dew drops, but it's like a kind of almost mm -hmm. like pearlized hydrator that just hydrates your skin, but really makes your skin glow. And it, it's nice to actually mix into foundation as well. And then I've been playing with just kind of lighter makeup looks. So Catherine Power of Merit Beauty sent me a bunch of stuff recently that I've been trying out, which I love. And then also to the um, tinted face oil from Kosas Cosmetics. I really like that because it's a two-in-one. It's like a hydrator plus a foundation. It's super quick and it's kind of really nice to use during uh, COVID because it's not like a full-fledged foundation, but it's a nice tint that kind of evens out your skin tone. All right. Well, I'm definitely getting that body scrub. KP yes. eraser. Yes. <laughs> Same. So good. <laughs> this is one of my favorite questions. What makes you hopeful? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. You know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that despite the pain and the challenge that this past year has presented, I'm really hopeful that similar to myself, a lot of other people have really used this time to slow down and to really think about what's important in life, to really think about what makes them happy, what their goals are, what their passions are, how to be a better friend. Um, I think so much of this extra time has been well spent by a lot of people in terms of that, you know, kind of contemplative thought 
process that I spoke of. So I'm really hopeful that when we do emerge from this, it will be the roaring 2020s in a lot of ways. And that, (laughs) and that, you know, people will just be a bit kinder and people will appreciate what they have a bit more and just be a lot more thoughtful Mm -hmm. about how they interact with people because um, community and friendships and family has been so, so, so important to me and so many others throughout the situation. And I personally value it that much more. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see just more good come out of this world. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for being a guest on the Beauty Vanguard. You are a beauty vanguard. You are, you are the, the yeah. Beauty you are a beauty vanguard. We are crowning you a beauty vanguard. Thank you. <laughs> no, really. Um, thank you for really working to shift the paradigm. I mean, it's something we're really trying hard to do with Thirteen Loon. I try and do it with everything I write. Nikeo does it with her companies. And the fact that you know, to your point about what your daughter can go into a store and experience is so beautiful. And you really are shifting the retail and personal care experience for so many people, all colors. And it's so important. And we just thank you for being here. Yes. And let us know where we can find you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And you can shop Briogeo globally now at Sephora, which is awesome. Amazing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We launched this year with Ulta um, in all stores and on Ulta.com. So you can find us there as well. And then you can also shop Briogeo directly through us at Mm Briogeo.com. Amazing. And follow you on Instagram at, at Briogeo, B-R-I-O-G-E-O, and your Instagram is at Nancy Twine. I love your Instagram. I love seeing I know, everywhere so in the great. world you are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's really fun. That sounds stalkery. I'm so sorry. I mean, you do. You, you have some beautiful travel pictures. It's great. Thank you. I love that Briogeo's global. I know we mentioned billion with a B earlier. Other than that, uh, when it comes to business, I love I love the term global. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Both of those things. All right, Nancy. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank Be you. Safe. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anne-Marie Johnson. The show was edited by Maureen Vegas and Charlotte Council. You can follow us on Instagram at at 13loon and at Melissa Magsaysay and at Nikeo.